0: Hello
1: and well, welcome to the Collecting Addits podcast, episode number 16. What a journey it's been. First up, this week, Formula One. Now, there's already been some argument on our little group chat about the fact there was nothing to discuss after this week's race. But I think that's completely wrong, because there's lots to discuss, don't you? Because it really was full of incident, but not the kind of incident that we want to be discussing. Over to you, Manish. Um,
0: I have just read a tweet from Corinne Chandock and um toto wolf said that the race was boring and um he's apparently asked the fia to have a look at boring races and corinne Chandock pointedly tweeted um didn't hear you saying very much in 2016 comma toto
4: <laughs>
2: and i
0: think
4: yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Oh,
4: yeah, yeah. go Karun.
0: I, well, exactly. I mean, I, I think I sound like a broken record, but there is a little balance that we need to achieve between entertainment and sport, and sport builds. And I think, you know, I, I was just talking to a couple of people in the offices. Yesterday, they watched Everton versus... I can't remember. Is it Southampton? The bottom line is there were two clubs. Leicester. 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 There are two clubs at the bottom of the Premier League and they're fighting for survival right now. And that is utterly entertaining because there's a relegation here. There's something at stake. And it just sort of brought me back to this slightly weird place we're at with with the sport of Formula One. Um, Imagine you're sitting in a grandstand on a straight in Baku. What is the difference between an exciting and a not exciting race? If you're, if you're on a grandstand on a straight, what you see is cars going past very, very quickly. William's actually going past at 344 kilometers an hour. You don't really know who's in the lead and you don't really know who's in last place because it isn't really like that. So what I would argue is <clears throat> creating an expectation that just as every single grand prix is going to be absolutely scintillating from beginning to end kind of it's the antithesis to enjoying it as a sport yeah sport sometimes produces these nil nil matches which are matches of attrition or whatever they are and that's okay because it's it's going to build and i just wish i just wish especially team principals wouldn't use the B word to describe Formula One. It's incredibly exciting. That's the bottom line.
1: Yep. I think I think most of us can agree with that. I I, yeah. I I find the level of hypocrisy with utterances like that is difficult because I'm a bit of a toto fan, a bit of a man crush on him sometimes. I do like him. But, but they, they talk about boring races, and yet they all protect the jewel in the crown, Monaco, which delivers consistently very little year on year. But they view yeah. that as the... The you know the apex of, of Formula One, but it's it is visually one of the most boring bits of sport that you'll see all year. Um, what do you think, Neil?
3: Well, I have to say I'm rather embarrassed about my um, little bit off the mark prediction of Lewis being on the podium. <laughs> so I'm so I'm still sort of licking my wounds from that. Well, I did I, I didn't really like the bloody Saturday. You know, now I do this podcast, I have to be much more informed and much. <laughs> looking smarter on formula one at least and i tried to sit down and understand how that saturday thing was working and there was one sprint and then there was another sprint but it didn't contribute towards the sunday i don't know whether stretching it over three days which basically looks like the strategy of having quality on a friday and getting more eyeballs onto the tv around the world so the advertising goes up and then the value of the company goes up I'm not sure that really works for I me. Mean, maybe i sort of run out of energy by the Sunday. I sort of, I'm like, oh, here we go, you know. I mean, Adrian Newey is such a bloody genius. He's the sort of the, 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 the Google of, of the internet. Maybe we should yeah. just sort of get rid of him, really. Well, he signed and up again. All I
4: would
0: say is that the, the <coughs> people are aware of the fact that if you like the cadence, the rhythm of the weekend – Actually, I mean, how many times can you shake a champagne bottle and take a cork out? And I think that there's something to be you know, thought about in that way, that in a way, having qualifying on a Friday, it is fantastic for the paying spectators. Weirdly, it's not television. The paying spectators feel that they're getting something. And then mm. the paying spectators on Saturday feel that they're getting something. The problem is that the rhythm of the weekend is lost I mean, you just cannot have spectacular qualifying on, on Friday, then spectacular qualifying for the sprint race on Saturday, then a spectacular sprint race on Saturday, then a spectacular Grand Prix on Sunday. Yes. The word spectacular starts to kind of slightly lose its can I, meaning. Can I, can I offer
1: a solution to this problem? It's very simple. It's called M1 Pro Car on a Friday. Oh, oh, no, yeah. oh. Well, The problem is, for me, that the, the, yes. the, the, it's, all, it's all about the visuals. It's the same cars doing the same things on the same corners. Yeah, so they should, I think just bolt them all into a load of um, whatever GR Yaris's and and say that they'll write, they're allowed to write every single one off. I don't know, just do something, mix it up. Can I ask? Can I ask one other question then? This 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 bit of handbags between Max and George Russell, I thought was <laughs> was very interesting. Um, Got to be careful what I say here, or I just get the uh, the Max army on my back. I don't think George has an army yet, or if he does, according to Max, they probably dress in pink anyway. So uh, but I, I think um, it was it's interesting, isn't it? I think we have now got conclusive proof that Ma- Max has, has a, a hybrid view of, of how you should race in, in F1. He can do he can pull off or take on exploratory overtaking maneuvers, but if, any, if anyone does that to him, he's not willing to accept it. I think Damon Hill's interview on Sky was quite superb, where he, he, he didn't do the obvious thing of just piling in on Max and saying, "Look, what's he on about?" He actually did that later on when he presented too much evidence not to. But what he said was, look, there's something that you there's something that unites these great mercurial talents in the sport. And he mentioned Senna and Schumacher. And I think he was absolutely bang on when he said, yep. they just have a view that they're always right. And I and this is what I find really weird, because I find Max's I find Max's reaction and the way that he went about it and the way he explained his his thoughts pretty abhorrent. I thought I don't I don't like that at all. No. But in the context of what Damon said, I thought that's what makes that's what makes him what he is. That's why he's going to be multiple multiple world champion, because he's just so single minded. He's been brought up correct. from the air from that big to not accept anything other than his way yeah. of doing things. Yeah. And Schumacher. I ha- I, admi- I admire it, but my God, is it ugly to see sometimes? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It was um I, I, that's think right, think
4: Schumacher, I a little bit, little bit more of Max on Saturday. And I think George handled himself really well. I think he, he refused to be bullied on track, refused to be bullied off track. I think he handled himself really well. It's odd. Uh, my boys quite often points out to me on social media. So on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, for some reason, George doesn't get a great press. There's been in the last year or so, a little bit of sort of negative, which I, I personally don't get at all. I think he's a super bloke, lovely bloke. Uh, he doesn't come from a very, very wealthy background. He's there purely on talent and determination and grit, uh, and he seems like a decent guy who is prepared to race very hard. And he did it last year with Max at Barcelona. That worked really, really well. So I think part of it, I suspect, was Max felt under pressure from Perez, and that was interesting this weekend that he couldn't get back past him, even in the race when he presumably had a fixed car. So I, yeah, I thought it was. Um, I mean, the. the it was an interesting weekend i mean nick de vries or as he very sadly is now being called on social media nick debris just <laughs> is really quite tough on him paul Blair, he must be thinking this seemed so easy last september in italy and now it just seems impossible i can't do anything right and one wonders particularly in that team how tough it will feel so i really feel sorry for him um and alonso what has happened to fernando alonso and can we have the real one back please i mean First of all, on the radio, he was saying, I found a really neat trick with the brake bias on my car. Tell Lance. And the Lance was saying, tell Fernando I won't attack him. If you forgot, this is Formula One. And then today, there's a report in Autosport, I saw before we came on, that said, oh, yeah, Uh, Fernando's saying, well, I'm going to help and support Lance in this because he'll be leading this team for another 10 or 15 years. It's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it's... um... Who are you and where what have you done with Where's he gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is it is bizarre. I I I think the makeup of the weekend is interesting because I, I I found the Saturday a bit of an emotional roller coaster. I saw the incident uh, on in the sprint race. I didn't like much about it from Max's perspective. I didn't like obviously the it's never a good look when you're yelling at each other in Park Ferme. You know, we all know that's what you do in sport, but it's never a great look, is it? The interview afterwards didn't like what Max did, and I and I thought the the icing on the cake, which clearly was for Damon as well, was when he gave that very very obstreperous sort of shoulders down early interview about the sprint format, where he just went, "I think it's rubbish. We shouldn't be doing it. We're here to race." Yeah, and I, the way he came across was 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 bad. It but was the message wah, contained wah, wah. He, but the message he contained in what he said, I agree with. I didn't. I don't think the sprint race works. I don't. Re, I don't understand the need for it for, quite frankly as Manish said I, I the cadence of a racing weekend from a spectator's point of view has been totally lost it's a bit like trying to force the pace of test cricket it's a game it's a, it's something that has to evolve over a weekend and so you should if you go on a Friday you should see the cars testing you should see the long runs you know there's no food for the real enthusiast anymore it's it's become very gratuitous and I think Formula does this at its at its cost yeah. I I have to be very careful that, that you want if you really want to put on some wham bam racing every single uh day or you know, every single half a day, it's a nil sum game. I think it's the thin under the wedge. How many other cliches can I come out with? I think you're gonna I think you're gonna struggle to maintain that. Because as Manage yeah. pointed out at the beginning, some races are just boring. They're going to be. Yeah,
3: <laughs> they always were, weren't they, I yeah. suppose.
4: Yeah. yeah. And in the yeah. in the Football World yeah. Cup or the Olympics. It would be um, nice if the cars sounded bloody better though, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd
3: be it, it would be okay in a way if it
1: was boring if they would have a big fuck off six litre V tens in the back. There there is that, but I, see again, I I don't think they they don't sound like the V ten cars, but nothing does. And mm. I, I when you go to a race physically, they still sound pretty bloody exciting to me. You know, if you if you go somewhere where there's noise ricocheting off the walls, they don't sound like a yaris gr to refer back to my no, future, they, friend they, they really don't. don't
3: no they don't i love the idea of chucking them all in a 911 gt3 rs in fabulous signal colors smarties and bombing around that would be
1: fantastic yeah i, I think if they want to if they want to break it up it's, it's very interesting i was having i was playing golf yesterday with someone and they were saying that their well, 17 year old golf? daughter is really into the sport and um, yeah, no, I know I do like I like to play golf now and again. Able will tell you that I've got a terrible slice, um, but the idea of someone saying my 17 year old daughter's really into Formula One, well, I mean they're doing their job, aren't they? What's a, yes. That's a lovely, it's a lovely statement to hear. Yeah. But then you're then you're fearful for the sport that's being served up. That's the strange thing. Um, moving on, next subject. This is a massive subject and one that I I was initially resistant to when it was written down. Um, and that is lightweight cars. Oh. There's, some, there's some really passionate voices here about lightweight cars, and I'm totally torn. So I'm going to sit here. By the way, I'm feeling a little bit rough today. Um, I'm going to sit here and um, and say to Neil Clifford, give us your passion defence of lightweight cars. Oh, I think it's everything. This is the best car
3: category. It's my obsession. It's the. I don't really know why, because as, as I've said before, I'm not really a great bloody driver, I've been at goodwood in a gt3 rs 3.8 blah 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 and been overtaken by a ford mondeo sort of thing so <laughs> i'm i'm a complete sucker just for the the sheer engineering beardiness of the whole thing whether it be the 3.2 club sport with the lack of central locking and you've only got a sun visor on the driver's side and the alarm's been taken out and the sticker on the 996 GT3 RS, which is probably the number one little item that I remember reading that. When it was it? 2010? No, five, was it? When did that 996 GT3 RS come out? And there was a 04. sticker. Instead four. of 4 04. I'm like, oh my God, those Porsche people are just bloody brilliant, aren't they? The no rear seats, the... The, the the car that I'd love to own is there's a nine to eight GT Club Sport. It's just yeah. called a
1: Club Sport, no GT. It's called a 928 to eight Club Sport.
3: Yeah, and I've had the GT. I've had the GTS. I've had the manual. I've had the auto. I've you know it's a, it's a shit car actually to drive. It's brilliant to look at. But I'd love that, the club sport version of that with those lovely D90 wheels with the little dish thing. What and then was the did... weight-saving
1: measure on the club sport that was very obvious to see? The single wing mirror. Exactly, it had wing. one wing mirror. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> That's true. There was also, I mean, being a nerd, there was also a car called, and they only made about 12 of these, and I Ed will remember this one, that Derek Bell had as a daily. I think it was called a 98 right. S4 Special Equipment. Yeah, it, hand, the, it was a basically a right-hand drive Club Sport, and, they, and yeah. they gave Derek Bell one as, a, as his company car, and he just waxed lyrical about it. Anyhow, I'm sorry, but I am just being a nerd here. But well, until, it, I totally
3: get it. I mean, I've got a we've got a little subject coming later, which is linked to my obsession of these things. You know, the the M three Club Sports or the CSL. Sorry, it's those lightweight door cards, that carbon fiber lightweight door card. Everything about these little amateur racing track day special things is really right up my sort of lunacy alley.
1: But it sounds to me like you get off on what the engineering and the tech... It's the engineering. But you've not spoken about how they make you feel when you drive them.
3: Well, they do. I, I own a 964 RS and I've had that car for 14 years. And I'm sure we will do the subject one day of the last tank of petrol before death. But if we do that chat, that is the car that I would be in. Because it's a, you know, it's 10 brake horsepower more, it's any, uh, the whole sort of blueprinted from factory thing didn't really make much bloody difference. I don't need any more than 260 horsepower in any car, frankly, but that car because you, you know the sheer engineering effort that were put into it. It was slagged off when it came out. We all know in, whatever, 91, 92, son, yeah. none of the journalists liked it. It's too harsh for the UK road. How can they charge so much for nothing? Blah, 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 blah. But that car, you feel so alive driving it because it does feel light. And it does feel like you are completely connected. It's like getting in a Mark One Elise. It's like a mini F40. I mean, I could drive at a, 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 a least faster than an F40 because it just feels like you've just got in a little shoe. It's beautiful. And I'm, you know, the whole Colin Chapman thing of just that lightness. He was dead right, wasn't he? Yeah. It's just much more enjoyment driving a lighter car anyway, putting you know, in the engineering um, elements.
0: Max Verstappen said this weekend about the, um, the modern Formula One cars. One of the problems he felt was this massive weight. When you go into a corner, he said the moment of the corner is so great, it basically knackers your tyres. And that's one one other really, really great kind of advert for the pre-hybrid, much lighter cars. It's that movement there, how, how well you can control the car laterally. And th- there is just something to be said for... Well, it's the Alpha 33. What did that weigh? Like 690 kilos? 600,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it's only got a two-liter engine or whatever. With exactly, you're talking about 250 horsepower, but my God, does it go and does it sound? I mean, like-
3: I'm a big, I'm a big believer or, or trusting in motoring journalists. That's why I adore Chris Harris so much. Because remember, <laughs> when, yeah, when you or Richard Meaden or any of the guys were writing about these cars, you know, an Evo Car of the Year or whatever. I, th- I really felt I was there with it. I believed in it. You know, I was the perfect customer in a way for those magazines. I went out and bought the car if it had five stars.
1: I love all I, that. I, I know, I'd like to come, well, I'd I'd like you say know. something very pithy and cynical now, but I, I you know. No, you shouldn't. I don't trust me, but, but I think I think you were probably right to, you know, Dickie's a great writer, and I think there is a community of people that wants to tell you what those cars were like to drive. Uh, Chris, Chris is someone who's a, a real exponent of lightweight cars he's got a strong history with Caterham and I think when we think of lightweight cars Colin Chapman's original Lotus 6 then to Lotus 7 design is probably what we're talking about in our heads that's what we yeah. picture isn't it that, yeah, that is. open wheel car yeah it is and I
4: think no matter how well you think you do or don't drive a lightweight car just feels better it should feel better as soon as you get in and start to move it it just it will just feel like there's less inertia less effort is going into everything and I, and that just feels lovely. And I think those of us who have been lucky enough to driven Caterhams, Caterham sevens, let alone race them, there's something just wonderfully expressive and liberating and lovely about how they feel. If you can you can translate what you're what you feel and what you want it to do much more quickly and easily. And we all know why cars are heavy now because of safety. I mean if you track you know Mark One Golf GTI to a Mark eight golf GI, it's basically double the weight pretty much there there about we were talking last week about um 90s hot hatches and Citroen AXGT i I shared with you the picture of me actually drowning my brother's AXGT in a little ford somewhere in wales probably 91 something like that and that weighs 722 kilos no. and the rear part of the car probably from the beep i'm not sure there was any metal in it it was plastic Uh, I said last week, a bit of hope and a few tears. Um, (laughs) They're just lovely to drive. And I think, so the modern equivalent, Alpine A110, I know it's sort of, you know, there's a QI klaxon should be going off now. Oh God, he's mentioned an Alpine A110. But it's a really nice car. You get in it and you start to drive it. If you go to a dealership, which is based in a town, you don't have to wait to get out of town. They just feel lovely and they turn and the way the steering feels, and you can feel stuff because the weight of the car. So, yeah, I, I just think, you know, there's, there's everything to say about them. We know why most cars are heavier, but I think there's everything to say about how lovely they are. It's a Caterham or an Alpine. You know, I've got an old, you know, Neil, you've got an old Mini, an original Mini. I've got a very old 1962 Mini, and it's just lovely and direct. It just. Feels. What does it
0: weigh? What does it
4: weigh, Chris? Uh, it's about 1,000 kilograms. A 1962 Mini. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the Alpine. No, sorry. Yeah, the 62 oh, the Mini is um, <laughs> it's about 657 kilos.
1: It's a brilliant car, the Alpine. Yeah, really, really. Yeah. And the Alpine's lovely as well. Yeah. I, I, I need to add a... Okay, I, I'll tell you what, Edward, I, I've got too much to say on this. You you say what you want to say and I'll see if I can sum up afterwards because I'm, I'm, my brain's exploding here.
2: No, well, I, I, <laughs> I added this in and it is obviously some of the cars that Neil cited. I'm very... You went for modern cars, Neil, because I think... They obviously try and add lightness into some of these modern GT products, etc. But they're actually none of them are light, really, In, in by comparison. Yeah. I have got True. the Renault Alpine written down, re- down here because I, I haven't driven one yet. But the people that have t- told me, you know, you even just go over a little hump, a bump in the road and it sort of just yeah. pops over. You really feel that lightness in it. But when, when I drove um, Richard Tuttle's latest creation, the 911K, um you know we we went up the road and fuck me this thing it, it, you know 11000 rpm and 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 when we were driving it he said do you know what do you know what you can feel and i was like what well, what do you mean you can feel the lightness and it, in mm. all the inputs the way that car yeah. feels he's he's so right and you know my my father has got a big passion for Bristol-engined cars. You know, th- these are small six-cylinder cars, but aluminium bodies, and and you know, by today's comparison or in terms of power, you would think these things are slow, but they're not because they're the, the engines in such a lightweight package that they just feel amazing. You know, from the 1950s, and they they feel as fast by comparison of any, any modern car you could have fun with. Um, and, and then I guess, you know, what you were saying with these Formula One cars, Manish, you know, all the supercars that are coming to us that have got more and more power, you know, they've got these hybrid systems in there. They're just be get, be getting heavier and heavier. And yeah, I'd just be nice to have, uh, you know, lightweight focus on, on, on the cars that we, we can buy today.
0: Does anyone know what a two Ferrari two nine six weighs? You yeah, it's suppose. about
1: it's about sixteen fifty seventeen hundred uh, with all the fluids and half a tank of fuel. It's probably more than one seven, You know. So do you know
0: do you know the dry weight of a Countach LP five hundred was one thousand three hundred and fifteen kilos? Yeah, actually, <clears throat> uh, right, hundred kilos lighter. Yeah, but the
1: kuntash is probably quite. Sadly, it's a bad example. It's quite heavy for a car of its era. I mean, there were yeah. cars over a thousand kilograms then. Look, I, I, the Alpines are really good. Uh, helpful vehicle to bring up in this discussion because I had one of those for six months. Uh, Sorry, I ran one. It wasn't mine. It belonged to Alpine. And it was a joy. Every time you got up, you'd be in a car that would... There's a lovely phrase that the Lotus engineers would call breathe with the road. breathe with the road. And it just... And The the car just felt so nimble. It felt like its dampers and its springs were working the whole time. And it was just trying to... It was allowing itself to roll. Uh, It was a joy. It had... The steering on it was good, but was but was power assisted, and therefore lost some of the, the 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 advantage a very light car could have. But it was also awful in 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 crosswinds. I mean, it was so bad on the motorway that you pretty much had to aim it where you thought you were going to go, <laughs> and, and it and it would it would go where it felt like going. I remember it was the first time in a modern car, where I've I've halted a journey back from the north because I thought I don't fancy this. So I'm going to wait till the weather gets better. Yeah. and that's the yeah. modern car, right? So. Yeah there are you can fix that that, though my my explanation of the dichotomy of super lightweight cars is i love the way they make you feel as a driver And, and chris again used the word that i would choose which is the lack of inertia the idea that every input you make reaches the point that should act on that input faster and more clearly and 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 the and the reciprocal is true what it feeds back to you as a human being is a much clearer message as well. And that's enjoyable. The first one is technically better. The second one when it comes back to you is that sense of, I've got steering feel, that that phrase I, I won't write because I don't believe it. But but there's there's something out there that is steering feel. I just don't think it is called steering feel. Um, but it's strange that quite often these super lightweight driving experiences, I think are a bit flawed on the road because they mean that you you don't have very good traction. You actually don't have much power, so you have to drive on momentum, which means that you are out of sync with all the other traffic on the road. And increasingly, if you are in a convoy and all your mates have got bloody fancy turbocharged Ferraris and Porsches, and you are in a lightweight car, you might as well park it up because every time there is a gap, they'll squirt it and go, and you'll be there going, "Oh yeah, I am just I'll catch you up with my steering wheel in a minute." Uh, so, so they're a bit out of sync. They're a bit out of sync with the way everything else works. Um, and I, I also believe that, and this is this is a sad. It's a sad reality check. Most c- vehicle engineers and vehicle systems manufacturers are now so good at their jobs and so advanced that they've kind of cheated physics. Yeah. And I, if I gave you a car that weighed a thousand kilograms from 1985 and told you to go down a road and back to back it with a car that weighed 1700 kilograms now, you'd say that the modern car steered better, that it stopped yeah. better that it gripped better and most of all that it felt more agile and agility is the word that I think we absolutely use in conjunction with lightweightness so I, I'm a bit torn I, I love the way lightweight cars feel but I think there are quite a few downsides to that um, it's, it's difficult but I, but I also remember from my from my car testing days that one of the things I'd always advise cub road testers when we did those big group tests you know the Evo car of the year or the, the auto car handling day thing was to, there'd always be a Caterham. A Caterham would always get into these things, because rightly so, because as a driving device, they're wonderful. I'd always say to to the young'uns, drive that in isolation. The worst thing you can do is drive a Caterham, then jump out of it and drive a 964 RS afterwards, because it will feel like a boat. Anything after a Caterham will feel like a boat. Nothing compares. So don't try and compare the two. You just really need to separate those things out. I think the and what this does. My, my summary on this on so this awful monologue of mine is, I think you need both. That's always the solution we come to in these podcasts. You, <laughs> need, you need. You I need. I think if you only had a caterer, that's potentially um, you know you, you might be missing out on some stuff. And also yeah, it I've, a bit with Just with um, a caterer. It's that was my my
3: problem with oh, owning. I, I've had a couple of original Al- lands sprints. <laughs> they're amazing cars. I mean, amazing. So fast. You can't believe it. That lovely little engine for a four cylinder engine is one of the best sounding little things. The problem is I felt that I could die. Yeah. And if you, if you got hit in with anything in that a, because I'm a shit driver, as I say a lot, but also cause it's so small that no one bloody sees you. Even if it is bright yellow, you are likely to lose your legs. And that's why I I got rid of it in the end, even though as a driving device, as you say, Chris, it's, it's not much to beat it.
1: Chris Cooper.
4: Yeah. So, uh, I've tried living with the catering, just a catering and it's, it's slightly hard work. It's slightly hard work. Um, but I.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: You may use expression that the people at Lotus use, that a light car will breathe with the road. The Alpine definitely does that. It's, it hasn't fallen into that trap, which lots of people these days assume is the right answer, which it making it too stiff and a little bit of body movement and softness the car will breathe i mean cracky, i drove uh, a 992 gt3 touring back from the Bister uh, scramble thing of the other week down the a41 it was next to an impossible task because the roads are so bumpy and uh, uneven whereas an arpin would have just glided down it been actually probably more enjoyable because of the way that it works so i think there's if you can find a way of having something like a catering experience in your life, then it will keep the dream and the appeal of a softly suspended lightweight car. Even racing versions of catering are still quite soft because it's that movement of roll and the way the weight moves forward and aft, which just gives you feeling. I mean, sort of. I agree with Chris, you know, steering feel. What do you mean? He said, but you can feel stuff through how the steering wheel moves in your hands. And I think lightweight cars just accentuate that. So um, I, I hope I'll always be fortunate enough to be able to have space in my small garage, the Neils, for a very lightweight car. They're top.
1: I, uh, I'll i tell you that one, one thing that I think summarizes this quite nicely as well. Um, I raced the Lotus 23 at Goodwood a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that was lovely. Uh, and I mentioned it on this podcast. It belongs to Chris Goodwin, who uh, was the guy that defined the modern era of they their driving dynamics and i think they're some of the best cars i've ever driven um so he sort of started with 12c and he probably ended around uh 600lt so that book ends probably the, that, that era where there were some spectacular cars and he bought the car because he wanted to understand what genuine lightness meant it, he you know his his background was uh was in racing but he said if i'm going to understand the dynamics of a really light mid engine car I better buy one So he bought this thing and started racing it. And the bizarre thing is that if you drive this thing, the way it steers and the way it responds to steering inputs, you go, I've been here before. And it is, the DNA of that little car is in all of the modern McLarens, particularly for those lucky buggers that own a 675LT. There is a DNA connection between your, your amazing vehicle and the little Lotus 23, because the bloke that defined the way your supercar drives got himself drunk on this little Lotus. So, I, I mean,
3: it would, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? It would be the only sort of positive I could see out of electric vehicles that there was an electric version of the Lotus 23 for the road that had 400 miles range and you could jump in it. And it felt like that. I know it's sort of maybe difficult because of the battery, I suppose, but that's what we want out of electric about the future, maybe. Just, just you don't need to be 0 to 60 in 2.2 seconds, do you? No. Right. Oh, I totally you want to enjoy, enjoy the bloody thing.
1: Where's the carbon tubbed manual gearbox electric vehicle that's got 150 horsepower? That's that's, yeah. that's what we're looking yeah. for. But, the, but the, sadly, those don't have headlines that sell in great numbers. Yeah. Um, right. The two car garage. My phone, yeah. by the way, just auto updated to the new iOS, and so I have no idea what's going on.
2: Manish can read it out. No, I've got it here. Oh, you got there. it, have you?
1: It's nineteen eighty. This is not about me, by the way. It's 1985, and you're a rock star, restarting a solo career after huge success in the late 60s and 70s with a band. You have a huge country house and a home in St. John's Wood near Abbey Road Studios. But owing to rather frequent substance issues, you won't have a driving licence for a year. So two cars, but you can't drive either. You love F1, you love rallying, you love Le Mans, but you have to be driven. Love it. By the way, this is Manish. Of course Manish thought this
0: <laughs>
1: Okay. Manish, you better go first because it's your baby.
0: <laughs> so um, you, you remember that scene in Widnail and I when um, Danny, purveyor of very bad drugs, turns up and he talks about the bloke who's um, imported the cannabis and him going down. It was, it's such a great line. He goes... The judge says to him, do you think it's the right thing to turn up in court wearing what you're wearing? Because a bloke's wearing a caftan. And he turns around to the judge and he says to the judge, do you think you look normal? Cunt gives him five years. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a monumental bit of writing. It was actually the 1st sea C-bomb in, in, in Widnow and I. People remember it for Uncle Monty. Yeah. Anyways, I was just imagining this poor guy who's kind of, you know, he's a hybrid of all of these rock stars that we knew, just pawing at a car for a year. And he just can't drive it. So the two that I came up with were the Rolls-Royce Silver Spur Limousine, the Robert Jenkel. It's 45 inches longer, you know, it's got the middle seats, the TV, the fridge. I even found one with an aerial. They were $196,000. And I can imagine if he didn't have a woman in a bikini in the middle seat. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Look at that. If he didn't have a woman in a bikini, he'd just have his guitar. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. What a car. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Jen-
3: Jenko was the man. We need to talk about Jenkel at oh.
0: some <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so, I, mean, I just thought that was it. And the other one. It's got to be a Ferrari, hasn't it? But it's going to be a 412i mm-hmm. because it's just enough Ferrari for him to sit in the passenger seat kind of pretend he's driven it coming out. And I think it would probably be red but with tan leather. So the Jenkel, Roly and the Ferrari 412i.
1: I love it. The 412i manual or automatic
0: manish? I don't think he'd care. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, God, if I, I dose you, I don't you'll think know he'd notice. He'd
1: <laughs> What's the street name for the pill?
0: The, it's called the embalmer, isn't
1: the, it? The embalmer. The
0: embalmer.
1: <laughs> Balls are swallowed. Two of the fuckers and run a mile. <laughs> <laughs> right, Edward, you go.
2: Well, I had the same bloody Rolls Royce. Are we on the, t- <laughs> the same go- Google search terms? <laughs> I'm going to change it though. I'm gonna. It's gonna have to change because we can't have the same car. So I'm gonna have a Lagonda wedge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
3: you bastard! Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You better get googling, Neil. And then, obviously, so I I googled um, 1985 Le Mans results, and I don't know if I found the wrong um, results page, but I don't. There were no sort of GT cars either running that year or there certainly weren't any that finished um so I, I was struggling to find if i'm a le mans fan struggling to find inspiration um and i didn't want to do a ferrari so i went rally as my inspiration and i bought myself a delta s4 stradali oh, no. yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: imagine being driven around in one of those yes
2: <laughs> but it's, it's fine I'll be all right, mate. I've had two of those pills.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Neil Clifford.
3: No, I'm I'm not changing my bloody selection, Edward. You just you just dull one of them but anyway <laughs> i would be getting i've got this i've got this pa and she's worked with me for 20 years since i had my first number one in like 67 or whatever on top of the pops and she she's got on a top right, typewriter and she's written a beautifully typed letter to victor gauntlet in the factory to request a personal appointment at aston martin because you know what he might not have a driving license but he's going to go and have an immense amount of time building two custom Aston Martins. A, a year will go quickly because he's going to see um, Mick Jagger in Mustique and he's got plenty of things sorted out for his, uh, his time off driving. But he goes up to see Victor Gauntlet. It's peak Aston Martin, mid-80s. And you would he's gone for the Lagonda. And he's gone British racing green with green leather, with red piping, with a hand-painted red stripe down the side. The Series 2. But he's also, he's upgraded the engine and he's upgraded everything inside and made some custom stuff with a drinks cabinet and a video in the back. Automatic, of course. And then he's gone, right, I'm going to have the best fucking Aston Martin you can make me. I'm going... I know the X-Pack really came in 86, but they've got a prototype of the X-Pack <laughs> and they've already got this engine. Um, I think it was called the 580X with yeah. the four 48 mil Webbers on it and the cams and the Cosworth pistons and the straight through exhausts. And he's, so he's taken the Vantage X-Pack. He's got the prototype. He's got the first one and he's matched it. He's got two cars matching the same, the dark non-metallic, very important. British racing green with the green leather, with the red piping. And it's obviously manual and it's got no silences and his driver's going to poodle him around in it. And he's going to keep these two cars forever. Doesn't matter, he's got plenty of holidays planned anyway. He's going to be driven in the back of the Lagonda for scooting around Savile Row and German Street for his shoes and his shirts and his suits. And then he's going to be screaming around. Where's, he's got his, where's he got his house, Manish? St. John's I
0: imagine it will be somewhere in no, that. Oh,
3: he's going, to, he's going to ignore the ban. He's going to fuck it. He's, he knows all the local coppers. So he's going to be driving around in the Aston anyway. <laughs> He's not gonna be talking about that. So two um, Aston two Aston Martins
1: from Victor Gauntlet matching. That that was that was an out of body experience, Neil. i d I'm not sure you were aware that you were talking. Right? <laughs> yeah. I didn't. That, what did I say? That was just pure stream of consciousness. That's that, yeah. that's how that's how we wrote the Wasteland. Right.
3: He's a on, mega Vic. hero <laughs> for me, Victor Gauntlet. Mega yeah. hero. Probably the number
1: one hero of mine from the eighties. He he well, yeah. That that's another discussion for the podcast chris cooper i'm not sure how you follow that but maybe just read out the two cars and then move on (laughs) so the first thing i can say is i was pretty
4: sure nobody would guess my two-car garage and so that proved to be so it's 1985 the first car is a car you'd never buy if you had to drive it and it's in the 36 it's a Mercedes 600 Grocer. You'd only buy one of those if you knew you had to sit in the back. So I think a Mercedes 600 Grocer yeah. would be the first car because you'd love sitting in the back of it. And when you could get to drive, I'd probably have the short wheelbase rather than the longer wheelbase one. I think that'd be a bit more fun. So 600 Grocer, first car. Yeah. Um, but he's re- this guy is really, really, he loves F1. He loves rallying, loves Le Mans. If he can't drive to enjoy the cars that you would see there, he'd just want to go to all of these events. In fact, he'd want to go to more events than he'd ever been before. So the second car would be a Sikorsky S76 helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> am I the only one who thinks that's a good idea? I, that's yeah. a brilliant idea.
1: I think no exactly project. how that person would think if I am there was no budget, no exactly. Budget. I don't know. You could get we've, to all uh, of if these. Are the um, I'm wasted here.
4: That's my two-car garage with no you, budget. You are. A 1985 rocker.
1: You've also disappeared because you've got... The, your internet is from 1985 as well. <laughs> <laughs> <Very> well. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know how you follow that. Look, I, I've agonised a bit over this, but I think... I've not met many rock stars, but those that I've met and the ones that I really believe are true rock stars are peacocks and they don't try and hide it. They walk into a room and they want to be seen and they want everyone to know they're there. Some people can find that distasteful, but I love the honesty of it and I just love the fact they just walk in and are, I'm here, I'm the man. And I think this is why you've got to start looking further afield with your cars. I'm not, you know, a stretch roller. Uh, there's other people with stretch rollers, Merck 600s, other people, other people with Merck 600s. I think a Ferrari 412 is going to stand out, and I think if you turn up in a Lagonda, you're going to stand out as well. But I think if you turn up in all of those cars, and I turned up in my Panther Six, the six wheel Panther, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone's going to look at me. because I'm going to be there going, "Lads, I've got four front wheels," and, and that was all that matters. I've got it's Robert, Jen- Robert Jenko again. It's Jenko. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. But I think the Panther Six is the ultimate rock star car. It was made. It was made for rock stars. It, it wasn't made yeah. for any other reason. It certainly wasn't made to go down a road. Can you imagine it in the truck grooves on the M4? It shit itself and fire itself <laughs> into everything. So, so I think um, I think it has to be a Panther 6. But the problem is the Panther 6, is it a sports car? Is it a bit of a tourer? I can't, I've never driven one. I don't care. I think it's sold. So it's my sports car. So I need, a, I need something a bit big as well. And I think if you've got a Panther 6 to turn up in, Then you just need the best saloon car on the planet to sit in the back of. And that, at the time, was a Mercedes 500 SEL, a W126 that had gone to AMG, had the hammer engine and everything else done to it. So, from the outside, it looks fairly ordinary. But inside, it's got a telly, a lap dancing pole, 700 horsepower, whatever they gave it. So, for me, it's Panther 6 and a 500 SEL AMG. Bulletproof. (laughs)
0: Love it.
1: Um, Now... Um, oh, dear. Here we go. This this might offend some of the design community, particularly when you look at the people that are judging the aesthetics of what we're about to talk about. Um, what's the worst spoiler ever fitted to a road
2: car? Oh, road. That's been a bit more detail added there.
1: I think I have specified that. In the first message I put on the group, I think you. you I will ask you last, so you can scurry around and find a new one. No, I've
4: got I've got lots written down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris Cooper. So, anything you put on the car yourself is going to be the worst spoiler ever seen on a car. Um, They're never good. Sorry, anybody who I mean, who was it? Halfords don't do it anymore, but whoever was before Halfords was an accessory shop years ago rga richard richard grant accessories richard grant yeah they were <laughs> spoiler tastic so no that's not good um anything that mansori put on a car that's not good um but actually <laughs> i think the worst spoiler to put on a car because if it's not on the car i actually quite like it is the a mercedes amg 45s you put the spoiler on the car with the silly wheels and the blacked-out windows it looks abhorrent. You take all that off, it's actually quite nice. So for the sheer, oh, my God, what have they done? It could be so much better. The spoiler on the back of an AMG 45S. Sorry, Mercedes, and all those people who like those cars. Yeah. The car's great. Uh, the spoiler's not. I totally agree. Neil Clifford.
3: <sighs> I made a decision to buy a car. And then I sold it because of the spoiler. Good. So that's got, that's got to be quite, that's, that's good. That's quite a, this gets the nub of it, isn't it? I, um, there used to be a time when cars <coughs> went down, went down in value when you bought them. Now this seem to go. Up it's, coming it's, kind of it's coming yeah. back. It's coming back. The preacher of doom. I'm sure you're right, Ed. But in 2010, there was a car that came out and, and, uh, I had a a massive love affair with BMW. I could never really afford them when I was really young. And then I managed to get myself that E30 M3 Sport Evo and I did all that. And then I had a CSL, actually CSL came later. But someone offered me for 30 grand less than list, the E92 M3 GTS. Mm. And they came out at about 120 grand, I think. I remember the Chris Harris article in Evo that... It's not as good as a Porsche. And if it was 75 grand and they made a 1,000, then Porsche would be shitting themselves. But no, it's too bloody expensive. And too
2: heavy. Yeah.
3: And too yeah. heavy. But I got I got this car, orange, which is a little bit inappropriate as well. It shouldn't have been bloody orange. It even had an orange they engine. They were all
2: orange, I think, weren't they? I think yeah, they, they were. They were only all
1: sold five, didn't
2: they?
3: Yeah, well, I, I had one of them. I think it was about 115, 120 grand new. And I, I, I was offered it at 300 miles 95 grand and i thought actually what can be better than a lightweight so you had all the sort of weirdo stuff of the perspex windows and the no rear seats and um all that other malarkey roll cage of course a roll cage adds bloody lightweight adds, adds weight but i remember this car coming off the trailer at my house and i'm like oh my fucking good god what is that spoiler <laughs> It's literally like someone, it's not even Halfords, it's someone's dad in their shed has got a lathe. You remember those people in the 70s that had lathes in their shed and used to make bullets or weird shit in their, in their shed? Well, this spoiler was <laughs> this spoiler was made in a shed in, in Stuttgart, wherever BMW, I suppose. No, they're Munich, aren't they? Nice. Um, and I thought, fuck, I can't drive around in that. And I kept it for a couple of years, did about 100 miles on it, thinking, oh, this car's actually, it did, I did sell it for more than I bought it, but I was just too embarrassed to drive it unless it was at night. <laughs> it's a really, really it's about shit. miles in I don't think. Years. BMW have not really done many good spoilers. Maybe the original CSL or Bat- Batmobile, Batmobile, maybe. They're not good at spoilers. This one is particularly bad. But do you remember the. Three point two, not the CSL, but there was a CS. Yeah, that had a really fucking dreadful spoiler on it as well at the back. So that that would be oh, the car.
1: No, I know with the one you mean. That was um, that 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 was the awful. That was an awful. Yeah. It was bloody Skinny little thing. Yeah, Straight God, it. it was a three thirty. I or something wasn't it well oh, yeah I, I have one of those uh, the wheels nick yes, also if you bought an m3 e46 cs you could buy an optional the that optional spoiler, spoiler that went jesus that and that, that dark, was a lovely bad. color that blue purple color yeah. yeah yeah that was it's a really a bad sorry, i've had a bit of a moment there That you're right that was horrific
3: but that gts they're now about 200 grand those
1: bloody orange it's got an orange yeah. engine. I mean, what yeah. the fuck's that all about? And if you drove it in a straight line now, it gets smoked by a 320D. They, would, they yeah. couldn't pull a skin off a rice pudding. When like that thing. was being
2: backed off the uh, transporter, Neil, and you were thinking, God, that thing looks awful, were you there with your legs out and a dressing gown wearing Crocs? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean,
3: what, if, if I'm not at work, I am in a dressing gown wearing Crocs.
2: <laughs> I wonder and what the driver noticed. thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, match
3: made in heaven, probably. If, <laughs> Who's bought this idiotic orange car with a
1: shit spoiler on the back? <laughs> the idea that you had to sell it is very honest, Manish. What's the worst spoiler you've seen on a road car?
0: Two two worst spoilers. One in a movie, one in real life. I really hated the Ford Sierra Cosworth Turbo Pram thing. Did you? I hated,
1: no, I hated that spoiler. wing.
0: It looked well, like no. something off the back of a Sainsbury's trolley with a little pillar. To keep it in place. I thought it was so ugly. Doesn't it? always hated Sierras. That just made them even uglier for me. Ooh. Sorry. And the other one is that front wing on the um, cannonball run black Lamborghini Yes. Yeah, what is weird. that about? Yeah, that's quite <laughs> yeah. right? just what? And it, The thing is also, the, 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 the pillars are kind of facing forwards. So you have this funny front wing. What does it do? What does it do to the car? You get such fantastic front traction going down a desert road in I don't know where. <laughs> and it's only that big. I mean, how long? How, what, three inches? Three inches of wing? You know, six feet by three inches. I mean, how much downforce do you
1: get from that? The, actually, that? You, it's a good point. This, the Countach is probably the most put-upon car when it comes to having shit yeah. attached to it over time, isn't it? Yeah. Edward, yeah. Now, are you... Uh, I'm going last.
4: No, you, of course you are. Sorry. Chris Cooper. I've already been. Well, what I was going to add was you've already been. Oh. Yeah, what oh, no, I know you've to already been. Sorry, okay, right. So, what no, to add? i was going this,
1: to... I to add.
4: <laughs> so, uh, what I was going to add was we've all interpreted where spoiler is effectively a rear wing, um, and there are some horrific front splitter things. When monkey, you remember when we raced that catering at the Lumb- uh, Nurburgring 24-hour race? when Caterhams are still allowed in that race. Caterhams have got quite a lot of front-end lift at high speed. Not a good feeling. And a few places on the Nürburgring where there are sort of jumps. In fact, the worst one for a Caterham is probably not a jump for a normal car. It's on the dotting-a-hoe straight, just gone that long, long, long straight on the old Nürburgring. Near the end, there's a left kink. And then there's a bit of a bunny-hop jump just into a dip before the last bit. The Caterham would take off on that. So unless you were pointing in the right place, you take off and end up in the green stuff, which is not a good outcome. So people have been there in previous years, decided, I know what we'll do. We'll put a front wing, like a single-seater front wing, on a catering, because that will sort it. I mean, we thankfully never saw them all weekend, but it must have had 30 miles an hour for top speed and probably a bit of lift in it. So, no. uh, as I said, anything you put on do, a car... Do you
1: remember our highly technical solution to that problem? I can't, what was it? We fitted We fitted a front number plate. We <laughs> did, because that actually worked, and because it basically stopped it did. air
4: we put a, going underneath the car. I mean, everybody oh, thought
1: sorry, it had drag, but it didn't. It worked, yeah. Those are the days. No, we fitted so um, I, it's interesting hearing those, because I love it when my memory's jogged by what you lot say, because I hadn't thought about the things you were talking about. Uh, not Edwards, though, because he obviously had to change his because he's done a racing car. he? Didn't really no, practice, I haven't. Which is why he was asked to leave so many schools. Um, so I now, I think, I've, I've gone through this, and I, this is not meant to be an absolute dig at, uh, at a particular car company. There was a vehicle released a couple of years ago. When I saw the pictures of it, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, it's the Aston Martin F1 edition. Of oh, god How do we forget that? That's what... I just I couldn't believe it. This
2: is the, it, yeah. it's got an upward curve on yes, the edges. Yes,
1: exactly. But it, 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 it looks like it looks like all of us sat down with eight bottles of shabli, a sharpie, and some paper, and said, "Right, how can we make this car look sharp?" Yeah. Oh, and and I mean? I just don't I just don't understand it. And I also the, the, just to show you how wrong we are and what a little ivory castle we live in. It's been a massive seller for them. They can't build them fast enough. Customers absolutely love them. You imagine how good it
3: would have been if it would have been good, though.
1: I know, but 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 the the, the spoiler is just what. Well, oh, anyhow, yeah. the, the idea that Aston Martin should have a spoiler, Aston Martin shouldn't have a fucking spoiler, no, should it? Yes. It should. No, it, should be, just, it should just, that,
4: just be your, your
3: some look- tiny, little lip like the Vantage.
4: Somebody designed Victor.
3: The one off Victor, that is one of the most elegant hypercars ever. Yeah, that is it's based, a, based, based on one, the
2: um the, the the modern track car.
3: Yeah, from the yeah, Vulcan the Vulcan,
2: sorry, yeah. yeah.
3: A, but it's a, it's all got all the elements of the wheels, the little lip, you know, it's a you're V2, quite right. It's manual. That's the most gorgeous hypercar that's probably been made. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: Right, um, so we've done. Well, oh, no, we've no, done no, no, no. oh, God, love it. Oh, no, no. Right, now, what have you been Googling? I
2: wrote so many down last night. Um, well, first of all, obviously, we're going to have to do another session on the best spoilers. It would only be fair to the spoilers yeah, to, to, to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I have got M3 GTS uh, written down because that wasn't very good. But we talked a few weeks ago about bangle design, and I think there was another design we're talking about. And as Neil said, you know, give it it all time. And in most cases, it comes together. And when you're looking at factory-fitted, original factory-fitted spoilers, they've all aged quite well, even the really radical ones. Plymouth Roadrunner um th- hmm. things like that you know F40 um but I have got a couple just to add in the and in, in the mix that are shit <laughs> at different price ranges I'm going the Zenvo that's one of them yeah. with that yeah. thing the dancing wing <laughs> oh, convertibles yeah. with rear spoilers so a a CLK DTM convertible with a yes, rear spoiler fine. on it that, uh, it that that's just that's just all it wrong should,
3: it should be illegal actually yeah yes H-
2: honda the latest honda civic type r with, with the sort of scaffolding on the back looks pretty atrocious but there is a winner and, and unfortunately the car it was added onto also looks shit as well but it's the chrysler crossfire it is it is total total dog shit and they yeah. put a spoiler on the back of one of them as well to make it look even worse
1: yeah i think i think i think you can have the crossfire that really was terrible but one special mention as well you're quite right about convertibles you're quite right convertible with spoiler doesn't work there's a particular spoiler and i'm, I'm sure both the few people here will will res- resonate with them there's a particular spoiler Porsche did as a tech equipment option on a 991. I often see. It's like a yes that comes off the boot Yeah, yeah. It's so clearly doing nothing. Yeah, it, it offends me greatly. I don't know why. I, it just looks shite. I don't. I don't I, when I, I can't imagine looking at that and thinking I want that on my car. The general,
2: but, the d- general sort of t- equipment aftermarket body or sort of non factory body kits generally just don't. Work on a Porsche. They're trying to make yeah. them look like a, a GT3, GT3, but they don't quite yeah. hit the mark.
1: Yeah. The great um, irony being that the first 996 Gen 1 GT3, they didn't have any money to do anything, so they took the tech equipment body kit, and that was that was the body of the GT3. The first one. Yeah, it was. I'll, out. I'll, 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 I'll find I a photo of they Did
3: it the other way round? Didn't uh, they do GT3 first, then make it into an Aero kit?
1: No, they took the wheels and the body kit from the Tech Equipment. The, mm. the, the wheels came straight off the tech equipment as well they've admitted that
2: i'll find um i'll find some photos of this car it was a car that was for sale um a couple of years ago with a company called ashley Nickels, and it dick lovett sold this car new but it was it's a 993 cabriolet in yellow with yellow wheels and it's still and it still had the uh the dick lovett order form on it, on it and the owner and i think dick lovett fitted it it wasn't done at the factory had a 993 rs club sport rear spoiler yeah. fitted on it
3: it's still for sale it is is it 59995 okay but you know that car is almost so bad that it's yeah i, I agree the,
2: and with I the yellow it's wheels up. yeah it,
3: it's one owner it's got the yellow dials as yellow the, as as yellow dials on the dash i've looked at it about 100 times at very silly times at night yeah. on piston heads. it's actually almost cool to turn up at the ace cafe on porsche night in that car it
2: might not be for sale by the time this podcast is pub- published published <laughs>
1: why would you just have it take the wing off it paint the wheel silver you've got a nice car it is, it's it's cool. say, you know,
0: one previous owner brackets beekeeper close brackets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one owner from new still same owner
1: um, right, we're now going to offer you some music selections, and there is a bit of a theme this week, which was set by Neil Clifford. It's a bit horrific, this thought. <laughs> music to sing along to in the car. What's what's a tune that you just like to belt it out at the windscreen, fleck the in-screen with spittle as you as you demonstrate to only yourself and whoever's in the car with you that you really can't sing? <laughs> Neil Clifford, I suspect, and I, this, is, this oh. is judgmental, but I suspect you don't have the crispest of voices.
3: I don't. I'm awful bloody. My whole family, not one of us can hit one note. It's awful. And actually, one of my biggest regrets that not me, wouldn't it be lovely to be able to sing yep. and play the guitar? That's another thing I can't do. Yeah. Normally, I only pick one thing. I hope you've noticed that I don't sort of flap around like Ed. I try to sort or of me. answer the question directly. But I couldn't conclude. <laughs> I've got two And I'm going to start with my not my favorite one, but Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a song. It's it's an anthem of anyone that was at school doing music lessons in the 70s. It's what my teacher would bang on, even showed us the video about 100 bloody times. That's an incredible piece of modern opera, isn't it? Neil, and and yeah, I mean, if you I'm say you can't
0: sing, you have to go and pick a piece of music that spans 4,000 octaves, don't you? No, that's true. I mean, <laughs>
3: it's, the, it's the only acceptable place, unless you're in a choir, <laughs> to, to be able to sing in a car on your own. But the, the, the one I would choose, and this, I won't, I won't paint the whole story, but it's the, the moment in my life, and my friends who are listening to this will remember it, where I laughed the most ever was, a, was a, a company conference in 1991, and it involved skipping an overhead projector, a chandelier in a 17th century manner, and a football. And you can just imagine what happened to the overhead projector, the chandelier, the football. <laughs> but we were, we were dancing to REM and shiny, happy people. (laughs) And it's just a fantastic bloody song. I would give one of my parts of my body, maybe not a limb, but something else, if I had the voice of Michael Stipe. There you go. (laughs) And not only do I sing, but I also piss my pants on my own thinking about the chandelier and the football and the overhead projector. That's
1: what um, that's, that's lovely. Edward, you can go last because you've got to find another one. No, I don't.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, here we go. Manish, bamboozle us.
0: No, no, very simple. Simon and Garfunkels Boxer. Ooh. It's such a great piece of music. And w- the great challenge with this is the Lila lies at the end. They all get louder and louder, but you don't it suddenly just stops. So they get la 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 la. And that's what you have to do. You have to guess the lie, la length.
3: Simon and Garfunkel, my God.
1: Yeah. Amazing. There's another wardrobe opened. Right, Chris Cooper, you'll hear this in 10 minutes' time. So, hands up who hasn't sung Angels
4: by Robbie Williams in a car. The whole world must have done that. You haven't sung Angels. No. Everybody sings that. <laughs> Everybody's had a go singing <laughs> Angels by Robbie Williams in the car. I remember when I, I mean, it has it has really, it was this, must have been the summer of 99, because it was the first album he released as a single singer, summer of 99. And I had, it would have been a CD in summer of 99. And I had a Mark, it would have been a Mark, four golf gti uh in green not a great car eight valve not 16 valve and it was the first proper year i was racing in Caterhams, and i just loved the whole thing about going testing everywhere and i'd drive everywhere that cd and that would come on and i'd just sing it the whole time
1: i thought everybody did is it just me it's just me well chris Sometimes you need to keep things to yourself. <laughs> this, this might have been one of those occasions. So, but Robbie Williams's Angels is now being added to our list. It's a great car singing song. Good song. Hey, do you know what? I think? There's a lot to be said for, for, for Robbie there, because yeah, I'll, I'll explain why I think that afterwards. Edward, what have you decided to go for?
2: I can't believe you said I flap around, Neil. That's really unfair. <laughs> <laughs> well, not many people know this, but I'm actually, I should be a recording artist because I've got one of the best voices no one's ever heard. And in a car, I'm in tune and I, I, I'm, it's mind blowing really. Um and out of all the fucking songs in the world, how is it we can come up with the same <laughs> song? <laughs> uh, but but actually, it's probably Neil. You're right. It's probably not around. Not about the song. It's about uh, the the singer themselves. Because REM, I can sit in a car and just I can sing them all. I, I think it's uh, brilliant. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with shiny happy people as well we'll just that we we can't have three thousand songs on our list as well i'm gonna to have to clear some out soon
1: okay Blimey, <laughs> that was awful. Um, i i totally get the rem thing i think part of the reason why rem appeals not just because it's it's really brilliant simple songwriting it's that the range of his voice is vaguely achievable for the bad singer so you don't feel that you've got to throw yourself around so even because the fact is that we all, we're all embarrassed by our own singing on our own in a car. That, that shows how shameful most of our singing is, that you're actually embarrassed of what you're hearing, not for the people in the car with you, which is why my choice makes no sense whatsoever, because there are certain tunes that, that, that will come onto the radio or I'll put them on a playlist or they'll come up in a shuffle situation that I love. But I did a bit of I did some road testing on this yesterday. There are some tunes that I just adore, but I don't sing along to them. I don't sing along to them. I just enjoy them as bits of music or I enjoy them as tunes, but maybe I can't even attempt to to get anywhere near the vocal or you know I, it's just too embarrassing. So for example I love Van Halen jump, you know we've discussed that before it's a, it's a fantastic tune, but I don't try and sing it. It's not a sing along tune. So for me the ultimate sing along tune whenever it comes on and I can't get anywhere near it is Elton John's Rocket Man. I just find myself wanting to sing I, wa- I want to it's a song that makes me want to be able to sing. <laughs> You know, because it's just, it. He's it, it's, it's just a gorgeous thing. And I, it, it just climbs and I find myself, I do sing along to it terribly, terribly, but I do anyway. So there you mm. go. Elton John Rocketman for me. Beautiful.
0: Um, Right, that wraps no,
2: up. Man, I think Manish, have you got one or not?
1: Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh,
0: oh, sorry,
1: sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry. It changed Edwards. in the last 45 seconds. No, no, fine. Okay. Theory me, Edward. Um, so that, that wraps up this week's uh, collection of shite uh that's uh, shaped as a podcast uh, and I, well, I I. need to apologise for last week that I, I bullied my way into saying that an Alp- a particular alpina was was an automatic when in fact it was a manual so I owe Neil Clifford. I owe, owe him I I an apology for that um, and he should enjoy it because it's the last fucking one he's ever getting <coughs> um, and, and, I, uh, and I hope that you'll join us next week and I won't feel the way I feel right now thank you very much for listening see you next week